Amen. Good morning. Well, Toto will be back with us in just a few minutes, but it's my privilege to kind of put a bow on the message of already what you've heard um, today. You know, as I was sitting on the front row this morning, a thought occurred to me. I wonder if you're sitting out there today and you're going, is this real? You know, this joy, this enthusiasm, this passion, is it real? Are these just some kids that they trained and brought over here and, and put in front of us today? Is it real? Well, let me tell you something. For a guy who's had the privilege of leading teams to Uganda uh, for the last six years, I've driven by Watoto. I've not had the privilege of visiting there, but I've driven by Watoto. But here's what we've experienced. We go out in the islands of Lake Victoria to some of the poorest regions of Uganda, and we worship with Ugandan adults and children. And what you see here happens there. There they stir the dust up from their dirt floors as they worship and celebrate Jesus Christ. It's real. It's real. And I hope it's just stirring in your heart this powerful, powerful emotion of of joy and experiencing uh, what you have today. But the second part is this. Easter. Oh, boy, I appreciate so much what Jenny said at the beginning. You know, Easter, is it true? Is it true? And I want to tell you, that it is. And that's the bow I want to put on. You know, Paul, now Paul was a Jesus hater who became a Jesus lover. He, he hunted down Christians, had them put in prison, and sometimes killed. He hated Jesus. He hated Christians. And then one day, on the road to Damascus, he meets Jesus um, in a vision. Often, I think it's for real, one of the vision. And then there Jesus uh, talked to him, spoke to him, and said, Why are you, why are you hurting me? Why are you, why are you persecuting me? And that day, Paul met Jesus Christ, and his life was radically changed, and he wrote two-thirds of what we call the New Testament. The Bible's broken into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the New Testament is the story of Jesus Christ and the early church. And Paul wrote two-thirds of that. A man that used to hate Jesus fell in love with Jesus. So he writes a letter to a church in Corinth, and the book is called, or the letter is called 1 Corinthians. And here's what he writes. He says, now I want, you, I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you. He wanted to make sure it was crystal clear what the good news, what the, I, I love it now. I, I've heard someone say this, you know, we, the word gospel means good news, but it's, that's almost not accurate almost. It needs to be the best news. He said, I want to make clear to you the best news because it's so easy today to get confused with religion and going to church and starting over and stopping this and starting that. It's awful easy to get that all messed up. And Paul says, I want to make crystal clear to you the best news ever. And down verse number three, here's how it goes. For I passed on to you the most important, the most important what I, of what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. You might say, gee, what is sin? What is sin? Well, sin is anything that we do that offends God. Uh, some of the common ones you probably know, you know if, you're, if you're a child here, disobeying mom and dad, sassy mom and dad, stealing, lying, cheating. If you're an adult, bigger things like adultery and lust and pornography and all drug addictions, all those different things, okay? And Christ died for our sins. And in, in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, Paul says that all of us have sinned. Now, now, some of us would go, well, you know, I may be a sinner, but I'm a little sinner. And some people go, whoo boy, if you only knew, you know that I'm a big sinner. 
Well, the bottom line is all of us have sin. I know a lot of you have probably been to Disney World or Six Flags or Holiday World. And you know, imagine if you were this tall and you were this tall. You had a brother. I, I say I had a son and a daughter. And, and we were so excited about going to Disney World. We just couldn't wait to go see Mickey and all of that. And we get down there and all we talked about, but, you know, my son and my daughter talked about, oh, ho, ho, I cannot wait to ride the big rides. And he gets down there and we're in line. And the little fella... The little child steps up and goes, and the ride person goes, Sorry, you have to be 42 inches. You've seen those signs, haven't you? And so, so the little boy, the little girl stretches up trying, I'm sorry, you just don't measure up. So I'm sitting, you know, my other child's sitting there and confident they're going to make it. So they walk up there to where the little measuring thing is, 42 inches, and oh no, it's 41 kind of straightens up, still 41 and a half. And the right person goes, I'm sorry, you're not 42 inches tall. The little one missed it by a lot. The taller one misses by a little bit, but they both missed it. And that's the bottom line with sin. The Bible, when it says all of us have sinned, the word means to miss the mark. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Whether you're sitting there going, I'm a moral person. I, you know, I don't hate people. I don't commit adultery on those things. The bottom line is we've all sinned. Whether it's big sin or little sin, we've all sinned. And then Paul wrote just a little bit further down another chapter in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. He tells us a terrible thing. He says that the payment for sin is death. I mean, you ever wonder how this world gets so messed up? Hey, God, why did you create such a messed up world? And he would say, I didn't. I created it perfect. But your old, old, old parents in the Garden of Eden chose to rebel against me, and sin came in the world. You know where cancer came from? Murder, evil, death, kids being molested. Where did all that come from? It comes from sin. We live in a broken, sinful world. And God says the payment for that sin is death. It's eternal separation from God. And man, if that was the end of the story, we'd all go home and we wouldn't eat lunch. We'd just be so depressed. But that same verse continues and said this. The wages or the payment for sin is death. Now watch, hang on, wait for it. The gift, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. God says, you know, because we've all sinned, we deserve to be separated from him in a place called hell forever. We deserve death. But God says, I love you too much. And so he wants to give a gift. And you know about gifts. Some of you got gifts today for Easter. And you know what a gift is? It's gifts something that's free. Something that is free. No payment required. Already been paid for. And God says, I want to give you this gift. And the gift is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's not being better. It's not performing. It's not, I think I can. If I quit this or stop that, God has a gift for you. And that gift is eternal life. Well, Dwayne, how does that happen? How does it happen? Well, the Bible says that, that if we will confess with our mouth that we believe in Jesus and believe in our heart that God did, in fact, raise him from the dead, we can be saved. And he goes on and says this, For with the heart one believes into righteousness... And the mouth confessions means salvation. How does it happen? Going to church every week, three times a week, giving a bunch of money to the church, stopping this, starting that? Nope. It happens by believing that Jesus did what he did and he was who he said he was. That, that in fact, 
that he did come to earth and die on a Roman cross because the payment for sin was death. Someone had to die. He died on a Roman cross and that on the third day he came back to life. That's how a person goes to heaven. It's not some denomination. It's not whether you go to church. It's not how good you think you are, how bad you think you are. It's believing in what Jesus Christ did and who he was. I find that so, so incredible. And here's the amazing part. In Romans 10, 13, just a chapter further, it says this. For anyone, someone say anyone. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved or forgiven. God doesn't care for you know, rich or poor, if we live on this part of town or that part of town. If he doesn't care if we count ourselves as pretty good or really messed up. If you'll believe in Jesus and ask him to forgive your sins, he'll do exactly that. It's amazing. It's incredible. Imagine the insurance. Imagine, imagine the joy that these, these adults and children shared being in your life. Uh, imagine... That your life doesn't depend on how much stuff you amass that does not make you happy anyway. Imagine something real and genuine such as a relationship with creator God of the universe. It's simply just amazing. So then you ask this question. Okay, that really sounds good. But how do I know it's true? I mean, it's really cool that Jesus lived and died. That's really nice. And, and you can say, Dwayne, that you know that he died and, and for my sins and stuff. But how do I know he just wasn't another man who got caught up in a bad plan? How do I know he wasn't just murdered? How do I know he wasn't just martyred? A martyred? What, how do I know it just wasn't a bad plan? Aha! That's what Easter's about. See, on Friday, he dies. And, and they referenced it. He cries out and says... Tell us die. It is finished. It is done. It is paid for. He dies. Well, Paul says in verse number four, the second part says that he was buried. He died for our sins according to scriptures. And they, what do you do with dead people? Well, you bury them. So they take him down off the cross. And thanks to the generosity of a couple guys, he wasn't thrown in a dump heap where he should have gone where all the criminals would have been dumped. His body was taken to a tomb, and he was buried. Now, we can thank the Roman army for this. You see, because some people say, oh, he was just unconscious. They call it the swoon theory. He wasn't really dead. He was in a coma. But see, they don't understand something. The Roman soldiers were professionals. They were trained killers. You ever seen, remember the commercial on television, I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV? Well, these guys were, uh, you know, I'm not an executioner, but I play one on Saturdays. Now, they were trained killers. They were good at their job. And I promise you this, Roman, you know, world history confirms the fact that Romans were trained killers, that when a, when a Roman soldier declared a man dead on the cross, he wasn't swooning, he wasn't in a coma, he was stone cold dead, and they buried him. You think it was? Is that the end of the story? Oh, no. Because that's why we have Easter. Because the last part of the verse says this, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scripture. See, Jesus did something that no other person has ever done, nor will do. He not only predicted his death and how he was going to die, 
They buried him, and he predicted that on the third day he would rise again. And guess what happened on the third day? He rose again. And here's the deal. Here's the deal. That nothing says Son of God like the resurrection. Nothing says. I mean, if you want proof of who Jesus Christ was, read your history books. I mean, there is more written about Jesus Christ than any Roman emperor there ever was. We know more about this this carpenter from Nazarene because of who he was. So on the third day, he was resurrected. He came back to life. Now, once again, we can thank the Romans for this because the guides went to Pilate, the Roman governor, and said, Hey, we need a guard. Because this imposter said on the third day he's going to come back to life. We need a guard so his disciples doesn't come and proclaim and steal his body and proclaim that he resurrected. Pilate said, all right, you've got your guard. So four Roman soldiers working four-hour shifts guarded the tomb. And guess what happened? On Sunday morning, he came back to life. There was no tomb going to stop Jesus Christ and no Roman soldiers We're going to stop Jesus Christ. That's the power of the gospel. That's the best news ever. Now, maybe y'all know the New York Times. Um, One of the most, I'll use the word liberal, but let's say anti-Christian newspapers in America. And Lee Strobel was a, a reporter for the New York Times. And this is back about 1980, somewhere in there. And there's a couple of things you need about Lee Strobel. One, he was a reporter for the New York Times. But two, he was an atheist. And his wife became a Christian. And it really was about to tear the marriage up. So here's what he decided to do. He decided he would investigate and prove that Christianity was a hoax. He was going to prove that Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead. And then there's a boo, you know, oops, a boo-boo. Because the more he looked, the only evidence he could find was that the resurrection was true. And Lee Strobel became a follower of Jesus Christ. Like Paul, he went from being a Christ hater to a Christ lover. Here's what Lee Strobel writes. In short, I didn't become a Christian because God promised I would have an even happier life than I have as an atheist. He never promised any such thing. Rather, I became a Christian because the evidence was so compelling that Jesus really is the one and only Son of God who proved his divinity by rising from the dead. That meant following him was the most rational and logical step I could possibly take. That's what Strobel said. When you analyze the evidence, it just says this. Jesus was who he said he was, and he did what he said he could do. He arose from the dead. And then to put a bow on it, then Paul gives us just one more tidbit from 1 Corinthians 15. He goes on and says, he rose from the dead and that he appeared to Peter, one, one of his favorite guys. They appeared to the 12 and they appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them, Paul said, are still alive, though some have died. I mean, can you imagine this? It's, you know, he appears to Peter, he appears to the twelve, and then he appears to 500 people in Jerusalem. It's like this, you know. It'd be like this. Peter's saying, or Paul's saying, if you want to, you could go right now down the road and talk to people who saw Jesus Christ after he was resurrected. It's kind of, you know, hey, have you ever figured this out? If you want to see somebody, go to Walmart. 
You know, we pastors know a secret. If you want to find your church members, go to Walmart. So you imagine Paul is saying, hey, you could go down to Walmart right now and talk to people who saw Jesus Christ resurrected. How powerful is that? And then he goes on and he says, oh, and some of the fellows say, but you could talk to James, his half-brother. You know, same, same, uh, same mama, different dads. Jesus' father was God and James' dad was Joseph. He appeared to James, and then he appeared to the apostles, and then he appeared to me, like I told you on the road to Damascus. You know, Rick Warren says something. He says, every time we write a date, we point to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Have you ever figured that out? Time, history, is divided by one singular thing. You know what it is? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we have A.D. and B.C. And that point, the point, the time when Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead, divided time. Just pointing. Every time someone writes a date, it says he lives. He lives. He lives. I know. I know. It's awful easy in this skeptical world to blow off messages like this. But I'm telling you what. I am, I am banking and hoping that God will speak to your heart. You'll see the joy here, and you've heard the truth here, and you've heard it from their mouths. But you'll know this. Wait a minute. There's not much to church. And unfortunately that's true. But there's a whole lot to Jesus. And and we're going to be around, you know, after this is all over in this huge crowd. You look for guys with name tags on like this. You know, we would love if you say, wait a minute, I want to know more about this Jesus. Man, we would love to share with you. And in fact, I'm just going to step out on faith here. These Watoto leaders, oh, they would love to share with you about the same Jesus Christ. Listen, this is the best news ever. He adds purpose and hope and life and promises us eternal life in a place called heaven. And it's all paid for. It's all done by Jesus Christ. All we have to do is believe. Is believe. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so very much for the privilege of sharing this truth. I can't thank you enough for what you're experiencing, Father. We are so grateful for that. And as Watto comes up now and begins, to, Father, to just finish out the program with their joy and the message of hope and assurance that they have, I just want to pray, Father, that you will use them again. Lord, if there's someone here today who has never experienced this wonderful best news ever, that they can be forgiven their sins, may today be the day that they realize that. And I know, God, because you never lie. You never lie. And you said if someone will believe in you, then you will forgive them. We're believing that right now. So thank you, Lord, for this wonderful day. Thank you for every person who came out. I want to pray and that they will say it was so good to be at church on Easter Sunday. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.